This is Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. Every week, we review an episode of the cult classic time travel series and decide whether it holds up to present day viewing. And hopefully, we'll entertain you along the way. Be sure to check us out on our website, fwwquantumleappod.com, and also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Fate's Wide Wheel. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Leapers. Thank you for tuning in to Fate's Wide Wheel once again. This is a special episode. Uh, as promised, we are releasing our full unedited interview with David Anthony Marshall. We thought that it warranted uh, your ears because it turned out to be a really fun and interesting conversation that not only touched upon his work in Quantum Leap, but sci-fi as a genre in both film and television, um, and kind of tracing a little bit of the the history uh, of his career uh, as an actor uh, and how it relates to um, not only you know our favorite television show, but other pieces of genre television and film. Uh, and I think it takes some really interesting twists and turns uh, along the way as it relates to entertainment and society. And, and culture and pop culture. So we certainly wanted to give our listeners an opportunity to hear from David, who is a, a really great guy uh, and an interesting and wonderful conversationalist. Um, and he talks about some of the projects that he's working on now. So we obviously encourage you to check those out. You can, of course, find him on Facebook at David Anthony Marshall and uh, also uh, via his website, which is davidanthonymarshall.com. And um, again, you know, we just had a really good time uh, chatting with him, and hopefully we'll get the chance to maybe do so again in the future. Um, again, you can connect with him online at davidanthonymarshall.com uh, or on his Facebook page, uh, which is, of course, facebook.com uh, slash Chicago Marshall. Uh, two L's on the end of there. And, uh, of course, he uh, is playing music in the Evanston and Chicago area, so if you are in the area, you should definitely go and check out one of his musical projects that he mentions here uh, on the podcast. Um, Of course, we're all dealing with our own level of shutdown, lockdown, quarantine, social distancing, so what better time to uh, curl up with your favorite or one of your favorite podcasts and check out this interview. Uh, things kind of start in media res. We, we jumped into the conversation uh, before the, the tape was really rolling. We didn't do much of an intro. You know, there wasn't even really a hi, how are you? It was, it was literally the conversation just started. So uh, recording starts kind of in the middle of things, but you didn't miss anything. I'm, I'm plopping you right in at the beginning of what we have. Um, and you can stay tuned afterwards for uh, brief words the outro, Fate's Wide Wheel. Thank you guys again. Take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. And we'll talk to you soon. Um, we're also dropping Killin' Time um, around the same time as this, which you may have already listened to uh, before getting to this. And, of course, Starlight, Star Bright will be coming at you very soon. Dennis and I are planning on recording um, quite a bit over over the next uh, week or two as we're both um, staying in and uh, staying well, which we hope that you all are doing also. So um, thanks again. Uh, enjoy the interview and I'll be right back. They, never, they left it apparently. I, you know, I didn't watch the entire, all of it all the time. I love sure. the show, you know what I mean? But I didn't like watch the whole 
all thing. I could binge it now and probably watch all of it, but um, but I've seen that lately they've been talking about how you know it didn't end. There's it kind of makes you gives you the impression that Sam never got to go home. Yeah. Oh yeah, they 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 throw they throw a title card up at the last yeah. thing, and it was like really hastily thrown together. Like it was so thrown together they misspelled his name in the title card. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, so yeah, they're talking about rebooting it, and there's a contingent of fans who like they don't want the show to come back if the original actors can't come back, and they yeah. can't because like Dean Stockwell had a stroke five years ago, and like right. like re- like he's very private, but reportedly like he he's lost all of his memories of ever having been an actor, so it's like he he can't come back. <laughs> so it's but yeah, yeah. 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 They have to, you know what they, I mean, the, oddly enough, what's funny is that the, with the tech now, if they spent enough money, they could piece it together and recreate his character, you know, through CGI. Yeah. Sure. And, oh, yeah. And, and just, and just recreate him. They could, you know, they, they computerize him. Right. And it, it'd be weird, but they could do it because he was always a little fuzzy to look at anyway. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you could keep it that way if you reboot it, but. And besides, you could also you could also make it so that he uh, wasn't Dean Stockwell anyway. You know what I mean? That all of a sudden now he's got a new persona, but it's the same guy. You know, same person with all of the same memories. I guess yeah. Of way to work around that if you really wanted to, but I don't know that you really want to. I mean, I, right? Yeah. I love Scott to come back and actually recreate and be the main character. He's the only one that would be really necessary. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. No, yeah. One else, no one else would really be necessary. So, yeah. but no, that's anyway, just me. Yeah, I'm a, I am a sci-fi geek. Fan. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny because you, you mentioned that and um, we uh, oftentimes just because being sci-fi geeks ourselves, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about other actors who have guested on Quantum Leap that have also done work on Star Trek. And so uh, you did a couple episodes of, of Voyager. We were talking about that before uh, we had the chance to ring you. Um, and you got to uh, originate the role of Seven of Nine's father, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny because it was one episode, but it's got split into two. I inadvertently did two episodes. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, okay. So, um, and, and AI, it is interesting to be listed as the guy, you know, because it's such a flashback quick thing sort of thing right you didn't really get a chance to do a whole lot of you know it wasn't like the it, you're not it's not like playing Sarek you know what I mean sure you're, yeah you're, you're, you're just a memory which is interesting I had a friend of mine ask me you know hey since she's going to be on Picard are we going to get to see you again that's exactly yeah. what Dennis said actually yeah, like, when we were talking have, about have before been, like I wonder they, have they been in touch about uh I mean, don't hold your breath. I don't think. <laughs> I got you. I mean, actually, not to spoil. Like, I, I just saw the episode that she was in, and I really got the impression like it, it's a one-off thing. Like, they they yeah. brought her back for one episode, and now she's off doing her thing again. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's it's a fan pleaser, which is cool, you know. And that's that's all right. But I mean, she was. Um, we were we've been friends on Twitter for a while, and I remember you know responding to that. She was very nervous about it you know like what why what the hell what are we going to talk about yeah (laughs) it's funny because i saw that i saw that uh i read that in an interview with her recently um and and i was i was kind of surprised because i feel like by the end of the show especially she had created such a wonderful character um that was one of the stronger parts of the show but i can i can only imagine what it would be like to go back to something 20 years later 
and and have to try to like you know recreate some of that magic maybe um, I, I you know with her i i think it's amazing that she did and that the writers gave for the opportunity to create such an incredible role in the midst of such a hedonistic misogynistic sort of still industry that you know pushed so hard for this idea of making her look practically nude throughout the entire thing you know and that 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 thing bothered me to an, an extreme degree that all the, you know it was all about the 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 action figure you know that's that somebody was going to be able to hold on to that looked like Lara Croft, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, and it, it's too bad in a sense that they had to go that route and that's that, that she had to deal with that. But in the midst of all of that, like I said, she rose above it. She created an incredible character. She dealt with a lot of that, uh, with grace, you know, and pushed forward because it's, it's still there to a certain extent in a lot of, uh, a lot of sci-fi. Um, oh sure, yeah. But it, you know, I mean, it's getting better, and with discovery, you know, um, things have changed a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, that's just something I've become much more sensitive to, even though I was at the time too, kind of irritated and about it. But no, I completely another issue altogether. I completely agree with you. I'm so I'm so glad that you that you said that. Uh, it's. Um, yeah, it's undoubtedly true, and, and I, I agree that she definitely rose above and, and, and continued to, you know, she had that guest spot on Boston Legal, um, right. where they even kind of poked a little bit of fun at the fact that she was supposed to be this femme fatale character, um, and ended up being yeah. able to kind of, you know, to play everybody, and you know, be the, the smarter one in the room, which was really great, so, um, right. yeah, yeah, I, I, I love that, that's fantastic, um, so I guess to, to just, to, to kind of dive into talking a little bit about Quantum Leap, um, yeah. Uh, how did uh, how did you get the the role um, in the episode Nowhere to Run? It was just a, a an audition that I got sent on uh, on a on a regular basis. I would head over to that studio, you know, and audition for. Uh, I think that was a Bill Serious situation. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. yeah. Because I did Nightman too. I did an episode of Nightman, which was a goofy, goofy show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, but you know, I mean, he was making. He, he was doing his thing. I, you know, what originally, I, I kind of got into that genre, that kind of push for a lot of auditions like that because of uh, uh, the earlier roles that I had. Um, and, you know, what was interesting, it kind of came in a flurry. I, I went and I auditioned for this pilot called The Owl. Okay. Which was with Adrian Paul. And uh, Adrian and I both auditioned for the lead in that. He got the lead. I ended up not getting the lead, but then getting cast as one of the bad guys. So he and I worked on the pilot. The Thankfully, it didn't get picked up. <laughs> uh, because it was, it was trying to uh, trying to work off of the popularity of The Crow. Mm. Oh, my God. All right. Yeah. yeah. So what it did is it had him running around as the owl, and he would say, hoot, hoot, dirtbag, and stuff like that. Oh, man. Throw out daggers from this cloak that he had that had owl heads on them. You know, it just it was it was really goofy. But that kind of led to a string of other auditions for things like you know Nightman and then also Quantum Leap. I had two auditions for Quantum Leap that didn't go through, and then I ended up getting this one. Okay. Do you remember what the other two auditions were for? Episodes or general like idea of like what the roles were? I really actually don't. No, that's that's fair. It's been like. 
28 years at this <laughs> point. Yeah. You know what? A lot of times there were look-sees where it was like, Oh, you, sure. Yeah. You went in and you weren't sure exactly what they were going to want. You know, there may not have been a side to read something like that, but this was interesting. I liked this because it, it didn't even have that much dialogue at all. It's just, it's just a moment that is kind of nice in terms of realization. Sure. Totally. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, family members who had been to Nam and everything that kind of, it kind of stuck with me. So I, I liked it, even though that wig was so freaking huge. But, you know. <laughs> no, it was a little, yeah. yeah. One of the things that I really loved about the scene, um, and I don't know, this might kind of play into what you were just talking about, is that it, it would have been very, very easy uh, to write the scene as the hippie coming up to Sam and, you know, calling him a baby killer or, or whatever. But but instead, there's a lot of compassion in the moment and the fact that you leave him with the peace, you know. So I, like, I, I really like that aspect of it quite a lot that's exactly what i what i what what attracted me was that you're right it would have been such an easy slide for to show some protesting you know anti-war sentiment and uh and what's interesting about the scene and about honoring someone who had sacrificed it means it doesn't mean that you're pro-war it doesn't mean that you're happy about what he did or what he was or what he how you know uh what he became the foil for, you understand the human side of it and you recognize the, the connection at that point. And it's, uh, and I, yeah, not to belabor it, but yeah, it's, it's one of those small moments of humanity that, that it's great for us to all recognize. You know what I mean? Yeah, Even in sure. goofy stories, you want to look at those things. I mean, please, you can watch Galaxy Quest and cry if you're looking for the right, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, if you're that kind of person. And I, I love it when our, these, you know, self-professed sci-fi geeks, you know, you know, do get emotional about certain things and talk about certain things because what we've done is we've recognized humanity and even the most fantastical of moments. And that's the best. That, yeah. And if we can do that, then think how easy it is just to see it in mundane life. You know what I mean? If you can see it in the midst of Mordor, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. you can, and you can get touched and, and enthralled by the fact that there's some kind of connection between humans or connection between entities, people, feelings, you know, uh, it's, it's important. It's highly important. So, yeah, and that's one of the things I did like about that show overall, you know. I mean, I liked I liked the fact that he was being put in other people's shoes constantly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Constantly being put in other people's shoes. Imagine imagine if there'd been some Shane Black sort of backstory to Scott's character, to Sam. <laughs> yeah. That showed, that showed that he was a racist, that he was a hedonist, you know, that he was a, you know what I mean? That he was this very, very, very corrupted human being. Yeah. And yeah. they forced to do this. Yeah. And then it's kind of like, if you remember the Twilight Zone movie with Vic Morrow's character, okay, which was sadly, sadly ended in his death, actually, when, uh, you know, Hughes decided to use choppers, which was stupid. Yeah. Yeah. But his character, you know, who was just such a jerk and a racist at the bar, and he ends up walking out of the bar and he gets thrown on a train like a Jew, and then, you know. Yeah. then he's running from dogs like a runaway slave, or you know what I mean? And then he's running through the jungle like, you know what I mean? So it's forced to live in the shoes of somebody else. Sure, yeah. And learn. So 
Yeah, I dug that a lot about that show, actually. And, and besides the fact, too, it was just anything fantastical in the 80s we all watched. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, well, and, I, I think it's great, too, because that particular period of time, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, you know, and even, even into the rest of the 90s was such a great time for, uh, you know, sort of sci-fi and fantasy on television. And you, you, you had, um, you know, obviously like something like Star Trek Next Generation, but Twilight Zone had the reboot. You had Quantum Leap. You'd get shows like Babylon 5, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The X-Files, etc. Which you did an episode of Babylon 5. <laughs> um, and I actually... I, In the 90s, you had that... Uh, uh, Legend of the Seeker, you know, and, you know, wow. stuff like that. Right. A little bit more money was being spent in terms of effects, you know. And, well, even uh, like Highlander and Hercules and Xena and, and shows like that as well, which were, you know, co-productions between, like, U.S. companies and, and, and right. companies overseas and stuff. And you did. You had a little bit more investment behind it. And I think syndication helped that a lot. I mean, these days you don't really get, I mean, streaming services uh, have kind of filled that niche in some ways, but not, not quite the same. Um, cause there's a little bit more pr proprietary sense of it. It's like, this is our show. Whereas with syndication, it was more about, you know, the producers who were making the show. It's um, become so much more corporate now anyway, you know, but, yeah. um, it, and yet, I mean, in the light of any time a bubble starts to grow where elitism and corporatism gets bigger, there's this opportunity for independence to shine, you know, I mean, it, there's, there's always, it sparks independent work again. Yeah. It's so funny. Cause I, that's, that was common in the eighties. We were so sick of formulaic blockbuster movies that, that art, art films became so popular. We started all going to independent art houses to see things like Mona Lisa and kiss, kiss the spider woman. And, you know, and, yeah. and, you know what I mean? That's that. It was like, wow, these are where the real movies are being made. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You'd, you'd occasionally go, wow, Die Hard was so cool. You know? <laughs> yeah, sure. So cool. But then, for the most part, you know, what the hell? What's going on? You know? So it's uh, it's it's an interesting cycle that ends up happening. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, what's funny is I look back on that episode. I rewatched that episode, and I I'd forgotten that I stood around hanging and talking with Jennifer Aniston and didn't even Oh really? Up, you know, because she hadn't become Rachel yet. Right. You know? This was like two years before, yeah. 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 So it's so I I had no idea. She was just an actress. She was just a nice girl to stand around and talk to at craft service. You know right. What I mean? <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I gotcha. yeah. You know what I mean? And it's weird when that happens. I mean, you know what Brad and I you know, bounced off each other all the time at different auditions and we'd done a movie together. So it was no big, you know, as he became a huge superstar, that was, you know, I mean, you, you kind of, you recognize that. Like if you saw him in a cup later at an audition or something, you know, Ooh, he's on the rise. You yeah, know, sure. Yeah. But with meeting her, you know, like, it's like I did an episode of Valley Dragnet and, uh, you know, uh, Eva Longoria, you know, was was on the show. Oh, okay. She, yeah. she interviews me with the other young actor who probably, I don't know if he's gone anywhere after that, but, um, but yeah, <laughs> tiny little, she's like 5'4". <laughs> yeah. you know? She's inter interviewing me and everything and that, and then she took off and, you know, became somebody bigger. Josh Brolin, I can remember sitting around with Brolin when he was 19 years old. Wow. At Fountain and Suites, or in his his uh, apartment, he was staying in during Young Riders, and he, you know, drinking and smoking and talking about how he didn't want to 
be compared to his dad and he was concerned about you know making his own way and you know yeah and, sure you know, I, I, I think like, he, i think he succeeded <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're gonna be fine dude yeah right yeah. <laughs> now locally here you're you're uh, somewhat active as an actor still locally mm-hmm. yeah i mean i i still audition i did an episode of chicago pd i saw that yeah yeah yeah, and I I'm filming a movie right now actually. So I saw that it was uh, you had something coming up, and it looked like I didn't know if it was like an already shot or, or what was going no, on. No, we've got we've got another week of shooting, and and then we'll be done. So. Is that, oh, very cool. is that the on IMDb the the listing uh, blackout? Is that the name of it? Blackout. Yeah, yeah, cool. Right on. Yeah, the, it, and it, the script and the uh, the the director actually uh, worked quite a bit uh, about twenty years ago independently artistically but then got into educational work and started doing a lot of educational documentaries and instructional films and things like that um and he has written four or five scripts that he's working on at this point he's got a feature that he's planning on going after later on after this but he's got this short that he wanted to do and it's a good way to for i'm i'm in the midst of trying to build up more and more uh current real Mm-hmm. In, I got gotcha. you. Know, uh, you know, uh, footage. So that's that's the thing. I, I've done a couple of short films that are still in the can right now, and you know, we'll we'll see what what I can pull from it. One that's really interesting that's on IMDb too. That's also uh, it's by a director called Zach Cort- Zach Cortino. I've done two uh, shows with him actually. The first one was um, a very bizarre sci-fi script that was a really sort of quick pastiche kind of put together thing that almost seems like student it's very student <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Name kind of yeah and and partly because the concept is there the acting isn't you know what i mean you've, mm. got, you, you've almost got real people brought into sort of dryly do lines and that always shows this you know it always gives you this feeling of oh okay mm. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> They yeah. gave them five dollars and a candy bar. You know I mean? so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, but still, you look at the. I've been always that kind of person who's looked at concept overall. You know, I mean, like, is this a good pitchable concept? Could this turn into something bigger? Sure, you know? sure. And that happens a lot with the festivals. A lot of those, a lot of those shorts, fifteen minute shorts that go to the festivals are really actually advertisements for the idea of, hey, I could do a bigger film. Right. Oh, bigger. sure. Yeah. 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 I, 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 uh, Blackout is like that. It is a it's a it's a short little piece that I don't know if he'll hit the festival circuit or if he'll hang on to it for a little bit or what. I'm not sure certain about it, but um, but it's an interesting concept. I yeah. like the, the, it's a family dynamic under stress, and it's uh, it's an interesting thing you know to look at. He did a short film that I got to see. Uh, prior, I like looking at what directors do prior to getting in. You know, if they've got anything, you naturally do that, right? You go back and look at for their previous work. You know, totally. Mm-hmm. If you can, and he did a short thing called The Sanctuary, which was incredible in terms of visuals. He's really good. He's got a great eye. Mm-hmm. Um, very short on dialogue, but big on um, subcontent in terms of trying to figure out where, what, what's going on. You know what I mean? Where what's the what's the gag what's going you know where's the real story yeah, you know? yeah. And, and it's there you can tell there's something going on that he's sort of almost underwritten that he wants you to guess at and that that's an interesting way of going about it as a director that's not 
that's not Inaratu, that's not Guillermo del Toro, you know what I mean? That's 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 almost, and it's not, and he's not Wes Anderson, you know what I mean? It's 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 not a, an I made a decision and this is my quirky take on, or this is my, you know, this is my image of. Right. This is what I, this is what I've decided this story is. It's more like, hmm, uh, here's a here's a here's an impression of a concept. And I'm going to leave it to you, the audience, to kind of get what you get out of these images and and these moments. Yeah, sure. You kind know, of... it's, yeah, yeah. So that's. I don't know if you guys are into um, more uh, like esoteric um, sci-fi. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. is, that is that is much more thought provocative. Oh sure. You know, yeah. When people saw Arrival. Yes. There were a lot of people like, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, or people walked out of the movie theater going, yeah, so, um. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, there's, um, oh gosh, why can't I think of the name of the film now? But there's a, um, it's it's a film with Jake Gyllenhaal, actually, and it kind of reminds me what you're saying about that, or, or even like, um, Oh, why can't I think of the name of it now? Um, was that the one where he was the reporter? No, although that's that's, that's another yeah. one that's really really good. Um, this one is um, I'll get there. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> I, okay, sorry. But um, not source code. No, not okay. not source code. <laughs> not source code. Not Nightcrawler. Oh yeah, it was okay. It was. It's a it's a, a Denis Villeneuve film uh, called uh, Enemy. Um, and he also is the same director that did Blade Runner 2049, and I feel like yeah. he's very much along the lines of what you're talking about, where Enemy in particular is a movie where he really, you know, he, he presents something to you as an audience member and then lets you make of it what you will. Um, right. and, and I, while I appreciate some of the other filmmakers that you mentioned, too, who are very much like, you know, here's my concept, here's the way I'm telling this story, here are these people, here, you know, here it is, giving it to you. There is something about someone who, instead of giving it to you, it kind of extends an invitation as a filmmaker, like, come with me, as opposed to, I'm giving you something. Um, right, right, let's go look at this together. Yeah, and I think with sci-fi or speculative fiction in, in, in general, that that kind of invitation ends up being usually more powerful um, than when you try to just give somebody something. Um, yeah. Which I wonder if the, if that's some of the difficulty that maybe people are having with with Star Trek Picard. I think mm-hmm. for the majority, people are, are enjoying it, but you do read some of the detractors. Oh yeah, and I think that they're they're with Star Trek. They're so used to having that you know s- sort of spoon fed to them that Picard <laughs> is doing a little bit less of that, and so they're they're struggling. I think maybe to uh, to make sense of, of of what's going on in some ways. Yeah, sure. yeah. No, it's it's it, it's an interesting thing. That's what I love about film, anyway, is the trying to be, it's trying to figure out the puzzle in a sense, you know, of, of of how it's being presented to you and what's being presented to you, you know, what what uh, what 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 where is is this uh, is there entertainment in in the didactic nature of it or is it just simply trying to slam something at me in terms of a, you know uh, a directorial. Uh, mission of under you know a, a statement of some sort. What's the statement being made? You know that kind of thing is a is a defensive way of going in to watch a film. 
you know, yeah, walking, yeah. going, okay, I know this is a very heavy subject, so I can't wait to see what the director's take on this is. Well, yeah, yeah, natural, I guess, but I don't know. That's well, the, uh, I, I, I always feel for the directors who take on projects that are, uh, that have huge fan bases and, and massive, massive amounts of preconceived opinion. Sure. You know, uh, God, God forbid, I mean, God's bless, you know, any of the directors who take on any Batman movies, you know what I mean? Sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Come on, you know, and I, I got my fingers crossed for Pattinson, but I see those, those recent leaked photos. Oh God, yeah. Ridiculous armor, motorcycle armor, kind of, you know, Batman thing. I don't know. So I'm kind of... Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah, see. We'll yeah. see. I do like the the one aspect of it that I do really enjoy is that the bat symbol on the suit is made out of pieces of the gun that apparently killed his parents. That's yeah. I mean, if, if the people who are going to get get that are the you know what I mean, the people right. who read read into that, or in, unless they expose that in some way by showing you that that's what he's done when he creates the suit. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so show the whole audience that this is what's important about that. That's that's. Those are tidbits and Easter eggs that are so much fun for anybody who cares about the deepness of the story that we've heard a million times. Right. It's, a, it's an yeah. old story. Come on. You yeah, know what I mean? Sure, yeah. It, it is still one of the best vigilante origin stories of all time, you know, but that's also why the suit is so important because the idea of being inspired by fear to create a suit that will inspire fear. Yeah. Yeah needs to mean you know, there's a great short film called Batman Dead End okay that was done by a guy named uh, uh, Sandy Sandy Calora and uh, it's it's on YouTube and it's just this short little fan made film but he's in the industry and all of the people he got involved are also industry professionals who had stock footage and costumes and all kinds of things you know what I mean so yeah. it's not a it's not a cheap little deal it's well mm. done uh, and it's just a little quick, little funny concept, but it's not. It's done extremely seriously. Mm-hmm. And the guy who plays Batman in it, you see him suiting up in the beginning, and it is the it is the absolute old-fashioned Dark Knight kind of you know idea with just a you know a fairly muscular, well-built guy with a massive, almost leather-looking cloak and cowl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When he pulls on the, and he's got his hands wrapped like a boxer, and then when he puts on the gloves, you can hear the squeak of the leather when he pulls them on. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? When he flexes his fingers, he puts the belt on. You can see that all he has is a gray, a dark gray sort of suit that is just, you know, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Form-fitting, but could be, you know, anything. And he's got the black bat across his you know, shoulders, but when there's this incredible, I mean, his chest, when he, there's a great shot when he drops from a height and hit the, the points of the cape spread out on the ground when he, when he's crouching mm-hmm. and the music swells when you see him from overhead and in, in the rain and he stands up and the points all come together. And then it looks like he, then he's standing there like a, you know, like a vulture sort of, you know what I mean? Yeah. This, this, this slow move of just the come in, the points come in. It's that little moment that caught my eye and kept me watching. I was like, oh, yeah. okay. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? 
And the next thing you know, he gets jumped by the Joker who's in a straight jacket. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and this kid, Andrew Koenig, plays the Joker, and he's, he takes a... It's way different from any Joker you've seen. Yeah. You know? It's just... I love I love people embracing it and taking it in one direction or the other, but keep it, you know go back to keeping it be you know be this this is a troubled person right sure who, yeah who's in this suit you know yeah he's a troubled guy he's he's dealing with some major major issues yeah and he really should be seeing therapist sure. uh, <laughs> yeah maybe he is that's the other thing I really think that would be great to see a Batman movie where you see Bruce Wayne going to see a therapist on a regular basis right you know what I mean? and then moments when a moment when he's actually you hear him talking on the phone with his therapist and then when you open up the shot you see that he's still in his bat suit he's still he's he's on ah, yeah he's, yeah he's next he's next to some gargoyle up on a building and he's in a sort of fetal position sitting there with the cape wrapped around him and he has to be talking he, he has to be talking yeah and yeah to somebody he just went through something that reminded him of something that made him you know and he you know talk about moment, you yeah. know well and he and he doesn't tell the therapist you know my job he doesn't tell him what he's doing but you know <laughs> yeah Sometimes, sometimes, you know, it makes it difficult to do my job, you know, when I, when, when this happens and it makes it difficult for me to do my job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would love to see that. I, the, ther- the therapist is half asleep, you know, <laughs> on, turning the bedside light on, you know, going, you know, well, Bruce, I, I understand that, but you know, <laughs> right. Right. Well, it's like, it reminds me, it reminds me a little bit of the Sopranos and the idea that like, you know, Tony, yes. Yes, with Lorraine, yeah, Bracco, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it could be that, and it should be that. Yeah, I mean, these 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 fantastical characters that decide to do things that normal humans don't decide to do have to have accountability and cost. Right. You know. Right. I I'm a huge fan of that. I'm a huge fan of you know the fact that Indiana Jones hits somebody and then his hand hurts. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I ever that's that's a trend that started back in the, that day and got better and better and better. This idea of a faulted hero, you know. Yeah. My my favorite line in Raiders of the Lost Ark is, you know, what now, Indy? I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. That, that that kind of thing is important to me. And I love that. You it's, know, it it really shows that. I think that that shows more hero than anything else is somebody who's I'm diving in because I think it's the right thing to do. I don't have, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it. Right. You know, I think that's one of the things that Zack <laughs> Snyder comes very close to getting right in a movie like Batman vs Superman, where he, yes. it, then he, then he glitzes up and messes up the art. Exactly. Direction. Yep. I'm exactly. Sorry. The art direction kills those movies for me. Yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> I'm sorry that, that, that overwash of, overwashed tone and then glitz in the wrong places and too much sparkle here and there. And, you know, I mean, come on, well, get, it, down, get down to the gritty re, you know, reality of the fact that some things are brighter colored and some things aren't and something, you know, yeah. and, and something that I could reach out and touch, not something that looks like a page off of a comic book. I get it that it's a comic, right? but, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit ranty about that kind of stuff. So. No, I, I completely agree with you. Because like for me, one of the things, that, and, it's, and it's in the ultimate edition of Batman vs. Superman, it's not in the, the theatrical cut, which is unfortunate, is that he spends a lot of time with Clark, 
and, and doing some investigative reporting. And it's really this wonderful um, display of what Superman has to do in his alter ego and the investment that he has in that and right. and also how it begins to merge and conflict with him as Superman and what, you know, is he trying to influence people and how they view Superman as Clark Kent and, and, and vice versa. And it's, I, I, there's some really interesting stuff, but it's one of those things where he doesn't go far enough because he'd rather have a 25 minute battle with this CGI doomsday creature that we don't need. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Which, um, I mean, it, yeah, I, it, you know, and you can pull, you can pull your favorite moments from that. You know, the wonder woman stuff is all the best stuff. Totally. Yeah. Like, you know, and their reaction to who she is and, and then that awesome theme that she has. Yeah. You know, that that kind of thing. You know, you, it gets exciting when you see that happening, you know, because she shows up and she's got purpose. Right. She's got, you can tell, she's, you know, this is what I do and this is what I need to do. You know what I mean? And it, it's just, that's that's awesome, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I, I really pushed for Affleck to, to be a great I wanted it to be good, you know. I right, did. right. I like the suit. I do like the suit. Yeah. Well, because I think that that suit was was more along the lines of what you're talking about. That suit had potential to be scary, whereas you know other suits that we've seen, including the newest one, doesn't it doesn't feel quite as scary. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Affleck's Batman was was Frank Miller. You know, you're I mean, right. The, yeah, that, that's where it came. You know, from he's because he's the older Bruce at that point. You know what I mean? He's, yeah. It's so. It, it, and I, that's cool. I'm still, I'm still, it still surprises me that I'm more of a Keaton fan than anybody else. You know, I, I, I we were scared to death when he got cast. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, yeah. All my comic book buddies, all my actors from the Shakespeare troupe, all my friends from college, you know, who are all like, you know, Batman movie. They're gonna, there's going to be a Batman movie. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? Mr. Mom, what? <laughs> it's funny too because I recently went back and watched the first two, and um, I think I almost prefer Batman Returns to to Batman. Yeah. Like I think oh, that he's de- oh, so good. Yeah. Oh, that's it, that's I I'm I'm not a huge fan of the first one. You yeah, know, it's 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 goofy, and I never liked Nicholson. You know, but I like moments that he created, and I like some of the concepts that they had behind it. But there was Burton's stuff. Really, really is uh, cartoon, you know. Yeah, and yeah, that's, and that's 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 okay. I gotta plug in because my phone's about to. Oh no! No, no worries. No worries. We, 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 we shouldn't, we we shouldn't keep long. you yeah. too much longer. Anyway, uh, I do want to. I, I do want to actually take it back to, to Quantum Leap real quick, and because yeah, you, sorry about that. No, 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 no. This I, has been lovely. You have not listened to our podcast. Uh, really. <laughs> <laughs> we, we go on lots of tangents. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I did want to ask you, you kind of mentioned something along these lines earlier. But when you're dealing with something that that is heavy, and this episode deals with. Um, Vietnam and, and disabled veterans uh, and, and PTSD um, yeah. and, and, and coming into it and having the role that you had and, and the way that they sort of set up the bar to, you know, to the point where, you know, uh, Scott's character, the, his wife even asks him, like, are you sure you want this place? Um, can you can you talk a little bit about the setting and, 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 and even, you know, your opinions on the choice to have them go to this bar where, you know, 
there's a singer on stage singing Eve of Destruction and Blowing in the Wind, and, and people are, you know, in the very much the, you know, that spirit of 68 free love hippie garb, including your character, as opposed to having them go to, you know, a fancy restaurant or some, you know, yeah. army safe, bar or whatever. Yeah. Some safe conservative, uh, you know, poss- possibly almost war hawkish, you know, you know sure. military yeah. thing, you know. Exactly. Um, you know, it, at the time, it didn't. I didn't put a whole lot of thought into it at the time, other than that it uh, it, sem- it seemed it seemed an interesting choice. This idea of again, it, it fell right in the line with this idea of, of putting. You had the same thing happening to, or being self-imposed because the, the character Sam's Sam's character chooses. Well, I mean, he is Sam at the time, but I mean, what's interesting is you wonder if the guy himself, if Sam was not in his body, yeah, sure, you know what I mean, would have rebuffed the idea of going into that place, right? Mm-hmm. But, but Sam goes, you know what I mean? He yeah. decides, yeah, let no, this is good, let's go here, right? So he's okay with that. She's sensitive to it because, you know, who knows where she was during the whole conflict. Who knows if she's sat while he was overseas, you know, defending the government's ideal ideology, you know, and, and being there. Um, it's, I'd have to go back and look at more of the, if there was more backstory to that. I haven't seen that episode in a while, but, um, Oh, for me, being in that setting kind of made perfect sense that we would all be there because obviously with the girl on the stage, with the, the way the, the design of the place, and it's obviously the, not too far in, down the realm of the whole flower power thing, which is just kind of, you know, I mean, the Brady Bunch hippie is the, is the thing you want to avoid when you start talking about anti-war sentiment. Right. That happened to me when I was doing hair in 1988 here in Chicago. Yeah. I was the lead, a lead in that. So, uh, but they, the way they handled it, even though it was the original producer, Michael Butler from the, um, you know, from the original production in the, in 69, the way the 1988 tribe got handled was extremely, uh, surface and Mm, flower powered, you know, goofy hippie laugh in, you know, Mm, that kind mm. of thing, Rowan and Martin's laugh in. Yeah. It, which made it really hard when you're trying to push the the let's let's make love not war you know sentiment you know so I yeah I, I did notice that I did feel good about the the choice you know but it, it it also made sense to me that what it was doing was it was putting people in situations that were that created conflict and that's why I, like we said earlier I did like the choice that my character, was directed and also written as being somebody who didn't walk up to him and give him a hard time. He saw what he had he'd done and that stops everything. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then my character's recognition of that is. Wow. Well, yeah. and I think one of the interesting things too, is that your character is the only you know example that we get of someone who is, who is just sort of, you know, man on the street, if you will, reacting to, the the shoes that Sam is in, if you will, because yeah, everything else we've it would seen have been really interesting. Had there been two different encounters, you know what I mean? Where, yeah. Where there, where there'd been somebody who had started coming over to the table, you know, going, "Hey, what are you doing in here, man? You baby killer!" You know, and then my character walking over and going, "Hey, you know, 
Yeah, Whatever. yeah. Let you me know, buy you a but beer. But it wasn't about that at all. It was about a quick exchange, you know, just to just to highlight the fact that there was at least one one person that you know was not what you would have expected. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So. Now, so for our listeners, real quick, because I mean, Dennis and I um, have in, in previous lives and times uh, been actors ourselves and, and, and worked on sets. But for a role like this, um, what like what, can you can you just describe some of the process and sort of you know your your day on the set and et cetera and 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 what shooting was like on on this show specifically. Um, again, this was, there was a lot of hurry up and wait on this one, because, <laughs> you know, that's, which is okay. I personally, that's, that's fine with me. I, I also, I mean, I, I love downtime. I love being able to be in different, uh, in different situations where I can actually experience it, you know, overall. And there's, there's nothing worse than like being rushed in doing something and getting out. Sure. You know what I mean? sure. Yeah. If you are the kind of person who likes being part of the group that is creating, you know, if it's, if it's this, if it's this gypsy caravan, you know, that is filming something and then you just get to visit for five minutes and leave and that's, that's no fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And that's kind of how I've always viewed it. I love those longer shoots. I've done four week and 18 week shoots, you know, kind of things where you go off and you get to know the crew really well and you get to know the area that you're in and you're all doing the same thing together and fighting to make this thing happen. And, you know, that's, that's, that's a, that's a fun thing. Yeah. That's what we live for, you know, in terms of doing film and television, but, um, not so much theater, even though you, that's a different thing. You create an ensemble that you all go through something together and then you all live, but you're all kind of going every night you're going home. You know what I mean? Right. Um, this was, this was fun because it was a, it it did take the whole day and that was nice. And it was fun because it, it did go by pretty quickly, but you know, got there, um, went to makeup, Went to you know did wardrobe walked around in that for a while went to craft service like I said hung out and talked to Jennifer Aniston for about <laughs> yeah. an hour you know and you know couldn't help sitting there thinking you know hmm, I might ask this girl out <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> you know? I wouldn't blame you one bit <laughs> no, yeah yeah uh, life would have been way different uh, yeah <laughs> but I did yeah. there you go yeah. So, but anyway, um, and I was involved anyway, so the, uh, but uh, it was, uh, <laughs> it was that kind of situation, and then, and then you just get called to set, and if you've ever done that, you know that can take a while too, because first team goes in, they check camera angles, and then they step out, and then they line up the shots, and they, fig- they figure out the gaffer walks around, and they look, and they're setting flags, they're doing whatever they can, they want to sure. get the right look. They're going to set up one angle and then they go and they shoot that. You might even be off camera and then you go in and they do it again and then they come back on you, turn it around, new deal, set up, first team come in, set it up, get the, get the look, step out, second team step in and stand in, stand there and then get all the measurements done and then you wait and you go and you, you know, have a cup of coffee, do whatever, you know, and then next thing you know. And a lot of times instead of stepping away, I would just go off into the fringes, get out of everybody's way and I wanted to watch the process. You know, oh, sure. yeah. I wanted to see the I wanted to see the dolly grip. I wanted to see the gaffer. I wanted to see the juicers and doing everything doing the doing what they're doing. Yeah. And then I did grip and I did juice for a while. I did that on a couple of films and that was that was fun because Rick Schroeder actually was producer on something, called me up one day and said, Do you want a grip job? I was like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
sweet. So I went off and did that, you know. Yeah. And, um, so if you're running cables, you're, you know, humping around with C-stands and sandbags, you know, and apple boxes, you know, it's, you're part of the group. You're doing it. Right. I just love, I just love making magic. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, you know, I mean, I, holding a, holding a flag in, in a rainstorm to make sure that it, the bounce is right. You know what I mean? Oh, I got you. Yeah. And the wind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wearing all full rain gear and everything. That's, that was fun. Um, so then, yeah, you get the, you get the shot done and you, and you, you know, yeah, that's a wrap on David. (laughs) Oh, sure. (laughs) Yeah. Shake Scott's hand, you know, and everything. He stands up and gives me a hug, you know, which is nice, you know, a photo with me and that kind of thing, the Polaroid, which I, I don't know where the hell that went, but (laughs) sure. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Um, we, we, we've talked uh, a lot and about Scott and and it's all been based off of interviews or things that we've read, but obviously his workload on the show was, was pretty gigantic compared to a lot of other actors, um, you know, on TV and stuff. Um, and, but we always hear about he, how great spirits he was in, how generous he is, how, you know, how warm he he is. So it's, it's interesting to hear that you said he gave you a hug, but any other memories that, that kind of stand out about him at all or, or working with him? Uh, you know, just, I did just that feeling of, I did get that. He was not in any way diva ish. He was not somebody who felt like he, 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 he acted with such humility in a sense that he seemed like the kind of guy who felt just really happy to be doing what he was doing and didn't feel like he just totally deserved this and everything was, you know, and this was his show now, Yeah. you know, um, and he still deferred to it. And that, he still deferred to the, the director and to the producers and that kind of thing. Like, you know, what do you think was that? How did this work? Blah, 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 blah. He, he was totally like, obviously it's a familiar thing. He's the star, you know, I mean, it's, 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 he can, he can easily go, you know, can we do that again or whatever, you know, or can we try that again? Sure. I remember, I remember working with Stallone in my first film actually and getting an interesting glimpse of, of a, of an actor director, mm. an actor, an actor director who, really frames things he's got his idea of how things should look yeah mm-hmm. and he's deferring to the director but he's really kind of guiding that director sure know, yeah yeah in close indoor shots not so much outside but like if you watch like there's a great documentary about lockup you mm-hmm. know where uh, they're at Rahway, you know just out, outside in the yard and it's snowing like crazy but they're out there and they're rolling around in the mud and it's just you know he and Sonny Landham are coordinating a fight just on the cuff he's showing Sonny how to hook his leg and throw him back and you know that you know what I mean things like that are a lot of fun to yeah. watch him coordinator because he he coordinated that whole thing wow mm-hmm. wow he's he's a he's a he's a maniac I I loved working with Sly yeah um, but he in those close quarters John Flynn was directing but John would shoot it we'd run it Sly would get up and run over and look at it and watch it come back and he'd go no let's do that again you know, mm. and then he'd walk over and we'd do it again, and he'd come back and go, That's the money shot. Okay, print it. That's the money. Do it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I got you. Yeah. He had it in his head in terms of how that should look, you know, and that, and, and, and what was really amazing to me was that I was nobody. <laughs> I was nobody. Yeah, yeah. And this, and he was nice enough and, and magnanimous enough to go, you know, what do you think about this shot? You oh, know, wow. Where should we go on this? Or, you know, how do you feel about this? Like when we're in, he's in the jail cell and I come up in the wheelchair, you know, that kind of thing. He's, 
he's like, yeah, I'm not going to be, I'm going to go, I'm going to be way at the, and I, I'm, I'll be right here. And I said, I think it's probably good if you are, you know, you don't approach the bars right away. Mm. You know yeah. what I mean? And he's like, yeah, because I don't trust, I don't know who the hell you are. So maybe I shouldn't like, like be right here to greet you at the bars. You know, and he said, yeah, well, you know, you want to test me before you get too close, right? You mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. I got you, yeah. <laughs> Is weird to shift me through the bars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a hallmark, you know, though. You, ne- you never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's always a hallmark of a great artist, though, is that especially when it comes to film, television, or theater, is that spirit of collaboration—the idea that everybody, everybody's opinion matters and everybody's input counts—and that's really cool to hear about him. It's funny. I when I was a kid, I remember catching that movie. Uh, late at night on HBO, you know, staying up far later and watching channels I shouldn't have, and just kind of fell in love with it for whatever reason. And and so it's it's a movie that I've actually seen quite a few times. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 uh, it's it's in my reel. It's something that I do the throwback Thursdays on, you know, and everything because it's it's uh, mm-hmm. it was a fun role. Yeah, and you know, it 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 lives it lives in. Uh, in for forever now as this nice moment in Stallone's history too. You know what I mean? It's uh it's a it's that hallmark of a guy who was moving past this legacy of Rocky, you know what I mean, and Rambo. Sure. Yeah. But he was in the midst of Rambo because he was training to do Rambo two at that point. Oh wow. Oh really? Okay. So, so he was not he was yoked, but he was not like cut like he you know, yet. Yeah. You know, he was yeah. eating like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> he, with the, uh, we'd, we'd sit in his trailer. That's the other thing. We were so, he was like, yeah, come on in. You can have lunch, you know, blah, 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 blah. We'd sit, so we'll talk, you know, that kind of thing. And I, and when hanging with him and just, you know, eating, and he's, he had like two, two or three Cornish game hens and a bunch of, you know, wild rice and yeah. a whole bunch of vegetables. And then, you know, I just, I'm like eating like But I don't know. That's, I was reading an article earlier this morning about uh, what all the training that went into Predator too, and those guys they get up mm. at 3 in the morning actually to go for a 12 hour shoot they would go train first wow, wow. and then come in because if you watch Predator this, this guy makes a comment on the fact that all the all the more modern action heroes are a combination of either this slim down look or these you know somewhat muscled here and there or water pills or that kind of thing or personal trainers you know so that they can look somewhat good for these movies you have not seen big muscle men in these movies much anymore. Right. You know, back in the eighties in Predator, every guy in that movie is massive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Except for Shane Black, who hustled his way into playing a character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, know? And, uh, you know, so but uh, but if you look at I mean Carl Weathers That's who I was thinking of too. Yeah. Just... Arnold Arnold tricked Jesse Ventura. <laughs> I, I love his. He's he's such a he's a prankster. He's a complete prankster, you know. And he he messes with people's heads. He did that with Lou Ferrigno. All during if you've ever if you've ever seen Pumping Iron, yeah. Arnold was cruel. He was not. <laughs> it was not not nice to Lou. You know what I mean? But, yeah. But it, was, but it was all in in this idea of messing with his head. You know, it's a competitive thing. Right. He he knows how to do that. He told the wardrobe people to tell Ves, Jesse Jesse Ventura that Jesse's arms were bigger than Arnold's, you know, like <laughs> look, they showed him some wardrobe, you know, that was supposed to fit Arnold. And it was like, wow, that's, I can't even get my arm in that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, like see your arms are like at least an inch bigger than, than Arnold's, you know? Oh so man. He, 
he was touting that, and then he goes and he he goes and he tells Arnold, you know, about that. And Arnold's like, "Yeah, well, let's go to the gym and work out. You know, that we should work out together because I I want to get as big as you." You know, <laughs> and and then they're working, and Arnold Arnold's you know flexing and going, you know, maybe we should check, you know, and Arnold and Arnold they check, and Arnold's like three inches bigger than Jesse, you know, because you know, he he'd fooled him. You know? Yeah, yeah, um, uh, crazy, right? Than I've ever. Not something I ever pushed for, you know. Yeah, well, it is interesting because I feel like we've, you know, now we've got uh, somebody like um, Dwayne Johnson, who you know is probably one of the few people that trains, trains all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's and, insane. And Jason, Jason Momoa, you know, yep. I mean, those those guys are they're big dudes. You yeah, know? I mean, so yeah, you see it, you see it, but you don't see. You don't see a lot of those. Those. Uh, I mean, you, you don't just don't see movies like that that much anymore. No. I mean, I, it, it is interesting though, um, and that's okay because it's it's it, it it has its place in time. Wolverine, though. I mean, that's that's the thing. It's uh, you know, Jackman did get pretty jacked. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But but he was. I mean, the whole thing messed with my head anyway because Wolverine's supposed to be five foot four anyway, or five five. Right. Know, so. So it did the whole thing. I kind of threw off anyway. Oh yeah, he looks great. <laughs> sure. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Good um, for him. Hey, you know. So um, you know, we, we we actually probably should have started with something like this, but I am curious. Uh, you know, just briefly, how did you how did you get your start? How did I get what? How did you get your start? Like where? Like what was your background? You, you oh, know. Wow. Um. I was I I moved to Chicago out of Illinois State University's theater department. Okay, um, and with a bunch of people from ISU, jumped into creating a theater company uh, called Famous Door. Okay, company. okay, and that's I had called I had pretty much that's what I was cultivating. Yes, this idea of being a theater actor. I want you know like the like the Circle in the Square or the Goodman Theater or something like that. I really wanted to stage i came and i did shakespeare in, in chicago um i did the opening debut of a play called black and blue with the famous door got a great review from richard christensen back in, at that point in time that was maybe 87 86 87 and then did theater around the city and that's what i was really thinking was my uh my path mm-hmm. that's what i wanted to do I loved film and I wanted to do film really badly, but I didn't know exactly how that was going to be possible unless I create, you know, got myself to a point where I really felt confident enough to maybe just head out to LA. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then I got, I saw that there was a general audition for, I mean, I went and I auditioned at Shakespeare with Steppenwolf and I did a couple, you know, with Gary Cole and that was a lot of fun. And, you know, and then with the Shakespeare uh, repertory with Barbara Gaines did that. I was a fight coordinator, and, you know, uh, really was pushing for all of that. Worked with David Woolley and Bruce Young and those guys and the swordsmen. Um, so really was focusing on that. My girlfriend and I lived together and we were both from ISU and she was acting as well. And, and then uh, next thing I knew, um, there was an open audition for the revival of and from the original producer of Hair at the mm-hmm. big theater. Mm-hmm. And I went and I auditioned for that to be Claude because I'd done that in college. They cast me as Berger, the lead. So I all of a sudden had an opportunity to be in a union show. Yeah. Sure. And then I became union and I didn't know what to do about that. So I had a friend's agent 
who at the time was here, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Gettys, mm-hmm. she negotiated my contract for me so that I knew, you know, I wasn't getting screwed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. And then she came to see the show and she came backstage and asked if I wanted to be represented. Oh, wow. And I said, sure. So now I had an agent. And I was also AEA. I was now Actors Equity. Yeah. Um, Not yet SAG. Uh, But then she sent me around the city for a little while to uh, during a strike for AFTRA, I believe. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And I did a Bullseye Barbecue commercial. I did a McDonald's commercial that just got session rates because I basically was scabbing, you know. Sure, yeah. I was a young actor, 25, you know, didn't, you know, yeah, send me someplace to do something cool. So I got some voiceover experience, which was fun to be in a studio doing that. And then, uh, let's see, what it ends twice. Oh, well, then Yvonne Suhor who was who we've lost in the last couple of years, unfortunately, mm. was a friend of mine from college, and she was in L.A. on an ABC holding contract. Okay. Then she calls me up at my place and says, listen, they're auditioning right now for the lead in this thing called The Kid. Okay. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a Western that I've been cast in as a little, as a girl who dresses as a boy to ride in the Pony Express. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That's interesting. And she said, they're out there looking for the lead. And I said, it's television. I, Yvonne, I don't want to do television. Yeah. You know, most of television was like Fantasy Island and, you know, whatever. I, I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you don't understand. It's a Western and it's being shot on film. Wow. Like, okay. Okay. All right. And I ride horses. So, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. I think I'll think about that. That's cool. She goes, go to your new agent and ask her to send an audition. And I was like, all right. So I went to Elizabeth, and she said, well, they're looking for, like, a 17-year-old kid. You're 25, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> yeah. So she said, but, I mean, if you want to, I said, yeah, let's just do it. And I was clean-shaven, and I was mm-hmm. pretty damn young. I, you know, in fact, I got, I pulled this out. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> At the time. Yeah. yeah. So, so I was shaved and put the hair back, you know, and put on a cowboy hat and Mm -hmm. sent sent the audition and they immediately responded with first class tickets to come out to Century City. That's awesome. Wow. Cool. And she looked at me and said, if you ever ask me to send another video, I will do it without asking. (laughs) 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 And I I said, no, that's, that's great. It's just the luck of the draw. But you know, I mean, whenever somebody says, oh, it's all luck, it's like, yeah, you know what though? It's luck that the door opens. It's not luck that you win. You know, sure. it's, totally. It's it is it's you're either you're either what they're looking for or they're not, but you also have to do a good job. Right. You know, you can't fold. You've got to be you've got to get in and do it. So there's a certain level of luck and a certain level of skill. So it's I have to believe that. You have to believe that. If you just think it's just all luck, then anybody could be anybody. It, right. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. you, you did and I get that. That's true too. That can happen, but that it's not exactly how it works. See, so I felt good about the fact that I at least was kind of close to what they were thinking. And, uh, but I also got out there thinking, it doesn't matter. If this doesn't happen, I'm just going to go back to Chicago and do theater. Sure, sure. Which later on I got told by an agent uh, and, and from a casting director, I think it's that sense of the fact that he didn't really care that we all loved because it really showed a sort of confidence. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, sure. Yeah. Like, nah, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, 
because then I go out and I audition and they said, yeah, you, Lynn Laurie at MGM, she, she said, yeah, you, that was good, but I, it's a five-year contract and you're supposed to be about 16 and you're going to age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think, I don't think that's going to work and everything, but thanks so much. And there are other things auditioning in the building. So if you stick around for a little while, I'll just, you know, shove you in, you know, if you want it. And I said, yeah, that's great. She was nice to meet you, you know, blah, 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 blah. And as I was leaving, this girl, uh, Sharon Hall, who happened, I found out was Monty Hall's daughter. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> And she was cute too. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's terrible, but it's true. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, she walks out and says, "How did it go?" And I said, "Well, yeah, I'm just a little too old for it." She goes, "Hang on a second, I have an idea." And she walked into Lynn. She comes back out. She goes, "Do you know the other role, the the Hickok role?" And I said, "Yeah, but I heard that Josh Brolin has that role already." And she said, "Yeah, but he looks younger than you. And if we get him to take the lead." you could be accepted as 19, 20 years old, 22 years old. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I went, went, Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So she said, can you, can you prepare that for tomorrow? I said, I can do it right now. I know know the scene. I just give me five minutes to kind of go over it. And then I went in and I auditioned for Lynn. She went, you know what? I'll buy that. That's fine. I'll send you to network tomorrow. So, I signed a 20 and 10 contract and then went to network and then ABC said, yes, let's cast him as long as Josh Brolin doesn't, you know, as long as Josh Brolin gives up the role and takes the lead. Sure. Yeah. So I went back to the hotel and then they called and said, you know, Brolin's agent asked for even more money. He's keeping the role that he had. So we're still uh, looking for the lead, you know, but thanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I flew back with points you know, sure. <laughs> at that point now I've got quotes, right? So, uh, but I flew back to Chicago and then the very next day I get a call from Elizabeth saying, you're going back to California because they just cast you as the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, I went, what? Yeah. <laughs> and they went, you're going to be Scarface and the bad guy. And I went, okay. Um, I thought he was like 38 years old, you know, and they were like, they like, they like the look, they like your face. They like, you know, it's all about the sure. face, Dick, you know? Yeah. And I was like, I was like, okay. Yeah. So she goes, you're going to cowboy camp in Sonora, California. Oh you know? man. I was, like, I was like, okay, sweet. So then that was a lot of fun. And I met some great wranglers and met some really cool people, got some great stories. I love cowboy history, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, it's just it was it was a blast and um, hung out and had dinner with some of the people in Jamestown, which is a an old you know uh, tribute sort of western town where mm-hmm. people walk around that work there every day, you know, that dressed in period clothing and they you know mm-hmm. it's just the and then the shops are filled with things that you get in you know eighteen seventy five eighteen eighty you know and. It's just, it's just cool. Yeah. Really really cool. cool. But he and this guy named um, Larry Hawk Donovan, he was, he was, he played a scout, just a guy who was part of the atmosphere. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And he and his wife invited me to come have dinner up in their place, which is up in sort of a a Hawk Erie, you know? Oh, wow. And and his back porch looks over this big, huge valley and you can see the Hawks dipping everywhere. And it's, you know, that's, we just sat there and smoked pipes. Oh, man. I was like, Jesus. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. 
but that's also when I really started smoking too a lot, and that sucked. But you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because because what happened is I I thought it'd be cool to smoke those um those uh, what are they called backwoods smokes? They're just rolled tobacco, mm, you know, like yeah. really, really skinny something Clint Eastwood would smoke sure, you know, yeah. between his teeth. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and they were harsh as hell. They yeah. looked great, but they were harsh as hell. Yeah. So the prop guy throws me a carton of red Marlboros, and he's like, here, that'll soften it. Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> and then there's so much wait time, you know, you just sit there, and all you're doing is you're, you know, eating, drinking water, smoking cigarettes, and eat, you know, grab a bagel, smoke a cigarette. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> happily gave that up more than 20 years ago, but still. You know, it's it's nuts. It was it was an interesting thing. My mother died at forty four of cancer. Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, and then my aunt also died of cancer. And there's been lots of cancer in my family. Yeah. And uh, and I went off and you know smoked like crazy for a little while in my twenties. So yeah. But you know that was a, that was a great experience though. But that's how I got out to L.A. Once I got done with that, I came back to LA and was ready to fly back met with Ann Geddes, Elizabeth's mm-hmm. sister who was in LA and I think they're gone I think the Geddes agency is done they're, yeah. they're not around anymore but um, Ann Geddes was actually married to and I can't remember his name now he was the lieutenant on 21 Jump Street big black guy oh um, sure okay, yeah. I know who you're talking about yeah yeah she was married to him so I would see him every once in a while at the agency you know um which is really funny because then I ended up working in Booker with Richie Greco, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> getting to know Richie, you know, mm. oh God. <laughs> and then he and I were both in, in some schlocky little other movie that Kurtzman did, you know, which was so funny. Bob Kurtzman, you know, who's uh, K&B effects and created Pumpkinhead and did you know, a lot of that stuff or worked on it, you know, they didn't create him. Winston, I think, created Pumpkinhead, but... Um, but yeah, Bruce Campbell was on that one too. Let's see, well, oh, uh, yeah. guys, the, you know, Trejo was awesome to work with. Um, you know, Danny Trejo, mm-hmm. um, that was that Catherine Long, Kathy Long, uh, Chop Saki movie, um, The Stranger. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I met Nils on that too. Nils Allen Stewart. He's a he's a big Samoan looking dude, you know, uh, with a Chinese ponytail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's he's a, a top knot, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really sweet guy. I that was the fun thing was meeting, you know, these massive fighter dudes, you know, who were just the sweethearts of the world. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. huge stuntmen. I loved hanging out with the stuntmen, the crew, and. Yeah, I'm still good friends with a lot of those guys, and I just ran into Andy. I've done two films with Andy Devoff. I did another 48 Hours, and I did The Stranger with him. Oh, nice. And he and I are like brothers, but we don't see each other very often. So, you know, um, it's been, in fact, it's been more than 20 years since we'd actually seen each other. So I just took my girlfriend out to L.A. and took her to um, the Sequoia National Forest because she'd never seen those trees. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And, uh got a chance to hang out in Echo Park and see my kids and also um, go to dinner one night with a bunch of her old friends from, you know, acting 20 years ago. 
and uh, and then also Andy. Andy showed up, and he's doing great. He's starting a brewery. He's still acting. Oh wow, that guy. He's he's an amazing, amazing dude. He speaks like eight languages, you know. And wow, and uh, he, you know, he's had his turns on Lost. He goes to conventions as a guy from, you know, as the Russian guy from Lost. Sure. And, oh yeah. Wish the Wishmaster, you know, he's the he's, he is the the the, the gin, you yeah. Know? Okay, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, but he's uh, he's a he's a good friend. So no, it's it's that's so far so far it's been a lot of fun. You know, Quantum Leap fits in with a lot of that. Just be, you know, this idea of getting to know the people on the set. You know, I mean, just sure. You know, that's a it's a great collaborative thing, and I love that. That's but I think almost any actor will tell you that that's really what the fun of making films is. Yeah, you know, it's a huge part of it is that collaborative work. There's there's that occasional story of like you know tyrannical directors and terrible conditions on set and blah 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 blah, mm-hmm. but, and and it and it got this great performance out of this actor and blah, you know, but that's uh, I haven't experienced that necessarily yeah i would i kind of would love to actually go through something like this (laughs) (laughs) just to say say that i had sure oh sure you never you never worked on a profile show in chicago (laughs) (laughs) oh god no (laughs) sorry i'm sorry if i ever ran into that guy i think i would probably tie him up and throw him in the yeah, man. Oh God, it's so funny because Dennis and I were actually talking a little bit about that before before we got started today. I don't even know exactly what brought us to it. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. We were we were chatting a bit and feel feel the same way. I worked with. I, I recently did a play with one of the girls who was part of that whole thing. Oh yeah, you know. Oh, yeah. So you know, and she she was awesome. She got Jeff recommended. You know, Jeff. You know, nominated uh, when you know when we went to the Jeff Awards for the play. Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. I, I haven't done a play in over thirty years. And, you know, oh. The one I just did what, what, know, uh, last what, year got nominated. So what was it? Foxfinder was the name. Oh, of okay, it. okay. Yeah, at the Athenaeum Theater. It was in Tarabang Theater Company. Which oh is yeah, a, oh yeah. Awesome itinerant theater company. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah. Really good, you know. Um, and this was a really provocative dystopian play. Really sure. interesting, you know. Um, about a you know it came out during the time when Handmaid's Tale suddenly became popular mm. on television you know on, oh, yeah. on, on Hulu right yeah and all of a sudden we're doing Foxfinder in this you know this dystopian England you know where uh, it's closed off from the rest of the world and created its own just you know society where it's now controlled by the Ministry in a sense you know and farmers are. Farmers are under watchful eye to be able to uh, produce what they need to produce in order to as quota, or mm-hmm. they won't be given the farm anymore. You know that kind of thing. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and the the uh, they send out fox finders to come out as a, as sort of these bizarre black cloaked uh, uh, inquisition agents you know mm-hmm. to come and stay at farms to see if things are right mm. you know and, and to make sure that things are good you know yeah and, and what and they it's under the guise of the fact that the fox now has been considered something almost mystical like demon-like like possessive 
and you know devilish mm-hmm. and nobody's seen a fox in years but there's the stories of the idea that that's what destroyed society you know blah 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 blah, mm-hmm. blah. And they, but, the, but they took care of it and the government got rid of them but you have to go out and see if there's any infestation and it's it's the metaphor for you know immoral activity is mm-hmm. there's that yeah. fox here you know that kind of thing so really creepy yeah Very creepy but uh yeah, I, I, and then Black Mirror, you know, I mean, stuff like that, I, it, it kind of fell in line with a lot of what was becoming popular at the time now. And Very cool. It's, yeah, it's always interesting to me how I, I think uh, we tend to, as artists, just t- kind of tap into whatever's going on in the moment. And so you see a lot of similar pieces that are independent of one another. It's not a yeah. case of like copying each other or anything like that. It's just the idea that we're all it's kind of influenced. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. We can't help but tell the same story because we're all living in the same world. And, you know, yeah. we have those feelings and those, those thoughts about what's going on. And, um, I, I, am always fascinated by, by that. Um, you know, and you hear it's sometimes it's a leap of faith, but when you'll hear uh, a writer or a director say, Oh, I didn't even, I wasn't aware that this even existed. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, David, uh, thank you so, so much. I mean, this has been oh, yeah. great, man. I, I, I can't tell you how, how appreciative I am of you spending time with us and, and, and talking about everything. <laughs> yeah. Michelle, uh, Michelle Dahmer, Michelle Dahmer, who I'm sure introduced us a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, um, and I'm sure you know her through the theater acting world too, because I know we met in a very different world. I'm a massage therapist, and for oh, okay. and for a while she was uh, one of the enrollment people at the massage school that I worked at, and so that's how we came to be connected. But I know that she was oh, active. Okay. Yeah, I know that she's uh, at one point in time she was active in the theater, in the theater world, in the theater scene. Uh, right. uh, but yeah, we, yeah, we became Facebook friends over two years ago when she introduced us. Like we did like a quick intro message back then, but it, like we were like back in the second second season of the show Probably, back yeah. at the time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so we we finally got to the fifth season now. We're in the home stretch. <laughs> yeah, um, David. Before before you go, is there anything that you want to uh, you know Plug? say about yeah any of the projects you're working on now or anything that you're doing now? I know you mentioned some music before we started recording. I hadn't hit record yet, but you were talking about some of the music projects that you've got going. Yeah, the um, well, the album is available right now on all digital platforms. It's been there for a while, um, and uh, I actually have physical CDs that I'm selling at shows. But um, but in terms of easy download, uh, Ancora Imparo is the name of the album, and it's a solo album that I did last year that is still selling, you know, moderately well, but uh, needs needs even more push because I, you know, it's on Spotify, so it's on Amazon, it's on it's you know, iTunes, it's on Pandora, it's everywhere. It's easy to find. But it's a, it, it was a labor of love that is out there that is a first step. And I've got another album that I'm going to try to get done in the next year or so uh, that is a lot more, um, a lot more complicated. <laughs> yeah, okay. Right on. But uh, in the meantime, I am, I'm involved in a duo called Damn Jackson. We do, we are performing around the, uh, the north side and in, in the northwest, out in Long Grove and in Palatine, and sometimes down in in the city. Okay. Uh, and we're playing in Evanston on May first. Actually, we're going right to be on. you know at the Evanston Pub on May first. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And I, he's a multi instrumentalist named Jack Mazenga, uh, a 
great guy, really close friend, who is an amazing player. He plays fretless, so oh, wow. uh, and and some. I mean, there's some. He can still play a guitar that has frets on it. Or <laughs> yeah. But he's well known and has been written up in Guitar Player Magazine for playing uh, guitars that were fretless, where he's put a mirror finish on the fingerboard or he's put titanium on the fingerboard. So much like the classical artist, he's playing without any kind of designation of frets. Wow. So, so it's pretty pretty amazing to play with him. And he, he's got a huge library in his head. And, you know, he's introduced me to things that I never even got into when I was, you know, originally playing i've been playing guitar since i was eight years old um so i've I've been you know influenced by anything that you can think of you know Mm -hmm. everything from country to mozart to punk to to caribbean to you know to blues to soul it's i'm just all over the place you know so um i just love music and that's kind of difficult when you're a writer too because i've got more than 130 songs but i have not been able to get all of it recorded sure, you sure. Know? so and then you start looking at that because time passes and you wonder if something is passe because it is stuck in a sort of time period or connected to something else but then you realize that none of it really is you you, you can give it a little extra push and you're, you're always going to find a niche one way or the other you know i mean the if you there was a time when it seemed like if you did not do a song and have a scratch in it, you know, you know, <laughs> or, or some sort of hip hop influence to it, yeah. that, that it wasn't going to make it to the radio at all. You yeah. know I mean? Um, the reality is the mainstream would tell you that, but that's not the truth. Right. You know, yeah. Singer songwriters and, and, and classic country and classic folk artists were still producing albums and selling albums to their, to their fans. Right. Back, yeah. in, back in the nineties. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, and in the 2000s, the early 2000s, when it seemed like that's all, you, you know, all you heard on the radio was high, high influence of hip hop, right? which I don't dislike. That's not the point. You know what I mean? It's it's the idea of the moguls who are now younger A&R guys. They're not the old cigar chomping Jewish dudes who were like, I don't know, put it out there. Let's see who likes it. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Now, now you got young A&R guys who are now my age, 50-something, who are going, we know what the public likes, and we're going to tell them what they like. Right. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to show them this, and the blah, 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 blah. And look how much money Beyonce makes. You know, so we're going to tell everybody that this is exactly what music needs to sound like. So and then you're going to, and then we're going to reward all those posers, you know, that yeah. decide to do the same thing. On a business level, you can't really you can't really be judgmental about how that approach has been taken because it has made a lot of money for certain people, but it has abused other people and exploited other people along the way. Right. But you could say that of any any million dollar making enterprise, billion dollar making enterprise, you know what I mean? That's the conversation now politically. This idea behind billionaires and Sanders take on Bloomberg. You know, you don't deserve all this money because, and you don't deserve all the praise for all this money because you weren't the only one who made the money. Right. Right. You know, it should be spread equally among the people who made the money. You know, or not not necessarily equally, but the reality is, you know, yeah, fair share, fair share, fair share. So, 
that's the people that I think don't. That's the thing that people don't understand about democratic socialism. I'm sorry to get political. No, that's totally fine. Again, have you listened to our podcast? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Because fair share does not mean that you can't get more than I can. Right. You know yeah, I mean? exactly. You know, exactly. Fair, if it's fair that you get it because you're a better businessman, then that's great. But it does. it isn't fair that you should take all of it and that I don't get any. Exactly. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, exactly. So, anyway. That's my that's my story. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. No, it's my pleasure, and I I, I love it. And uh, you know, any any time. So. All right. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, David. Take care. And uh, uh, on a, on a selfish note, you mentioned some places you playing and, and playing in the city and stuff. Have you have you heard of, been to, or played at a place called Montrose Saloon? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, the next time you're there, I'll definitely have to check you out because that's like a block away from where I live. I've oh, played, yeah. I've played there a few times as well. So yeah, have you gone to see the handcuffs there? <sighs> I think I was. I used to be there a lot, but it's been a while since I was there. I, my, no, my, my wife friends, and I had a baby my recently. Friends, so. My friends, uh, Brad Elvis and and his wife actually, you know, oh. have a band called um, the Handcuffs. Okay. Yeah, and they are. It's it's great. Um, rock and roll and brad was the lead uh he was the drummer for a band that i loved in college called um screams yeah which was a which was a under under supported awesome band that could have been bigger than cheap trick you know yeah yeah at the time and and got terribly promoted because they ended up being thrown out on a tour with van halen (laughs) <laughs> which made no no sense whatsoever. Yeah, but they were but they were club favorites, and they did really well for a while. And their album is so well done. Yeah, it's a good album of that kind of rock and roll, and it's it's just so it's just sucks for you know for people who were fans of Screams at the time. You know what I mean? To yeah. see that they can go any further. That being said, Brad moved on and did the Elvis Brothers, uh, and they did really well on a club circuit and with you know local people. And then he ends up ended up becoming the drummer for the Romantics. So he's he's been very very busy. But he and his wife actually, who is an awesome saxophone player and an awesome guitar player and a great lead singer and a great lead presence in the style of somebody that fits right in with early Rod Stewart or Ron you know or. Uh, or um, Ron Wood, or sure. uh, anybody from that time period, where you know, or um, <laughs> um, now I'm blanking on you know, the guy that I get asked about all the time because I'm also in a Bowie cover band. Oh, okay. <laughs> and the, uh, and not 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 a cosplay cover, you know, tribute band, but just a cover band. Mm, and, sure. Uh, and I always get asked if we do dress up, and that if I'm going to dress up like the guitar player, and all of a sudden I'm. Ronson, like uh, yeah. his last name is Ronson. What's the first? Uh, uh, is it is it Mick, Mark, Mick, Yeah, it's um, Mick Ronson, right? Ronson, yeah, Ronson, yeah. yeah, yeah, Ronson, yeah. And that's so Ronson also had that look, you know, yeah, Amy, totally. Sort of the spiky, you know, whatever over and then she's and, she, and Chloe, Chloe, Chloe Orwell is her name. Okay. She's, She's, which is a great name anyway. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they're a, they're a blast. They are really cool, and I and I keep promising to go out to their gigs, and I don't, you know. Sure. Um, I get too tied up, and I'm too busy, whatever. But we're I think we're going to be jamming with them. Um, uh, I think the Bowie Band is going to be playing with them, and also with Tiberius Strange. Um, I actually have on schedule, I think, 
I wonder if it's the Montrose Saloon that we're going to be playing at, actually, a few months from now. Okay. So, yeah, so I'll keep you updated. I'll yeah, you know, cool, yeah. Please, please. Watch, because I'll be posting, you know, and I'm trying to really be good about a lot of that. I'm using Instagram more than I ever have, you know, so. Yeah. Um, but I've, you know, if, yeah, if you haven't seen that, I've created an actor page on both Facebook and also an actor page on Instagram. Okay. And just use my regular sites i've got i've got like five pages on facebook you know because i've got damn jacks and then i've got the david anthony marshall music and then i've got david marsh david anthony marshall actor and then just david marshall and then you know i've yeah. got all of that going on um and space face as well you know space face is the uh the, the, the Bowie band. Okay, okay. nice, nice, cool. nice. Cool. Well, we'll definitely include links in, in the show notes so that yeah. so people can find you and everything uh, from the podcast yeah. as well. Um, but uh, on a personal note, yeah, I hope to I hope to to check it out and, and bump into you face to face sometime. But um, but thank you again so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. you've been so generous with your time. And um, yeah, sure. we'll maybe we'll we'll be speaking again sooner rather than later. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. All right. All right, all right. Check, out, check out the podcast I did last year, too, from The Sesh. All right. That's a, okay. a really good podcast they did where uh, my episode is all in black and white, and you'll see Jack Ooh. playing Lynn, too. Awesome. Oh. All right. That sounds great. That right. sounds great. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much, David. Take care. Have a great rest of your Sunday, and uh, we'll... we'll... Once again, a huge thank you to David Anthony Marshall. Uh, he was such a great sport. Um, it was really fun chatting with him. Uh, you know, in addition to obviously taking part in Quantum Leap, had a lot of other really interesting stories um, to, to talk about and, and tell us uh, about his experience as a professional working actor um, and, and some of the, uh, the cool, fun things that he got to experience along the way. Uh, really enjoyed hearing his stories about lockup. As I mentioned in the interview, uh, as as a kid, I caught that movie late at night and 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 watched it numerous times. There was just something I really enjoyed about that particular Stallone flick. <laughs> um, so we are planning again on amping up our recordings. So you you should be getting quite a few episodes dropped over the next week or so. Um, and we look forward to hearing what you have to say. Obviously, we don't expect you to listen to every single one as they come out because we're going to just bank a lot of stuff, but we want to release it during this time in case you are uh, interested in, in doing your own Quantum Leap Marathon and, and want to listen along uh, with us. So uh, be on the lookout for those new episodes. Uh, Killing Time is dropping concurrently with this interview episode, and then Starlight Star Bright will be up shortly thereafter. Uh, so we're really... Really looking forward to doing our own mini marathon over here and recording our episodes as we are in the home stretch of season five. Um, so Dennis and I um, are recording remotely, uh, but staying in contact and figuring out ways that we can have fun with the community. Uh, so feel free to you know, make posts on the Facebook page, uh, hit us up on Twitter, um, you know, send us an email, um, drop us an audio recording, you know, we'll drop you into the show. It doesn't even have to be about the episode we're talking about, just Quantum Leap in general. Um, you know, give us your top 10 episodes, uh, the episodes that you plan on watching while you're, you're social distancing and self-quarantining. Uh, we'd love to hear that. Uh, but again, in closing, thanks so much to David Anthony Marshall. You can find him at davidanthonymarshall.com. 
facebook.com or you can of course uh, hit him up on facebook at facebook.com slash chicago marshall um, and be on the lookout of course for his music projects uh, as well as the uh, films that he mentions um, you can also find him on imdb to take a look at his career and uh, track down different performances i know that we've already had a few people's people's <laughs> a few people reach out to us commenting about uh, catching him in films like 48 hours and, and so on so um we look forward to hearing from you again stay well take care of yourselves and one another and we'll be coming at you real soon with starlight star bright I want to stay, I want